0: Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us at church today. This table is a little too far from me. I got, sh- I got short arms. I can't reach that far. I um, want to welcome you guys to church. I want to welcome uh, those of you guys who are watching us online in the Portland area or if you're in Arizona or in Alaska or wherever you are. Thank you so much for joining us for church today. Uh, we are at the end of a series that we are calling Keep the Change. And um, we started that series last week and we're ending it this week. It's a really short one. It's what I call a mini-series. It's just two parts. And um, we have a lot to get to today. Uh, So I want to, I'm just going to quickly do the review. What it really came down to, this series about keeping the change, uh, was this question, and let's put on the screen, have you become more like Jesus? And this question is really directed to church people who have grown up in the church for a long time. Have you become more like Jesus? For the the 20, 30, 40, 50 years you've been in the church, like what do you have to show for it as far as your character? Are you more like Jesus now than you were 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Or are you still the same? And it was a very tough question to ask, very uncomfortable, but we could all take comfort knowing that for a lot of people, the answer was I haven't changed much. I'm not really much more like Jesus than I was Five years ago, and I've or, or maybe I, I've changed, and that change was like 20 years ago, but since then it's kind of been, been stagnant. And I've been kind of struggling with the same stuff same addictions, same problems, same relational issues, same struggles, same temptations. I don't really change much. And so, we, we talked about why that happens, and what it really came down to uh, was it, it wasn't a you guys remember what I said, it wasn't a what problem, it's not the what. Someone say it so i don't get all sad here it's not the seed it's not the seed it's not the seed the problem's not the seed it was a soil problem or a penetration problem or using the other analogy it's not the outlet problem it's the phone or the charger now if you're watching and or this is your first time here you're like what is he talking about i want to i want to point you to our uh, podcast if you go if you go to wherever you find podcasts on iTunes or whatever Uh, Google, Spotify, you can find our podcast, you can listen to last week's message, and it will make much more sense, okay? But what it really came down to was that um, the problem is not the word of God that is false or wrong or untrue. The problem is it's our hearts or we're confused about how spiritual growth and change actually happens. And so the reason why many of us are in the same place today that we were many years ago is either because something is wrong with your heart you're resistant to change, or you've been doing things that you thought would change you, but they're not actually changing you. And so I, I realized I didn't explain last week why this series is called Keep the Change. It's because this is our attitudes toward God. God, keep the change. I don't want the change. Don't bring that change up in my life because it's hard and uncomfortable. And we talked about the three main reasons why many people do not change or are resistant to God's change is, number one, we're afraid. We're afraid that he's going to come up and mess up our lives and make us move to the jungle of the Amazon or Africa. And make us sell all our property and give away all our fancy things that we love and give it to the poor. We're scared of that. The second reason we're too busy, like we don't even have time to sit and think about our lives and think about where we're at and think about our issues. Or we're just simply too lazy. And we just don't want to put in the effort and we just don't really want to try because it's hard. And we understand that, right? It's always easier to do nothing than it is to do something. So this is what we covered last week, and that's what we say by this is a soil problem, this is a heart problem, this is a phone problem, something might be wrong there. Now today we're going to be talking about the other part of the equation, the other reason why you may not be changing, and it's you might be confused how spiritual growth actually happens in people's lives. That you thought you should do this to change, so you did it, but then no changes happened. And you've been at church and you've been worshiping and maybe you read your Bible and pray and stuff like that. And you're like, I'm still the same person. There must be something wrong with the seed. It's not the seed. We are confused, many of us are confused how spiritual change actually happens. So today's sermon is a little bit different than last week's. Uh, this, this sermon today is not, like, super inspirational. I'm not, like, oh, you know, going to fire you up. Which is weird because a lot of you got fired up because I was, like, calling you out on your stuff. And you were like making you uncomfortable and making you feel pain. And you're like, we like that. We like that. So now that I know you guys are glutton for punishment, moving forward, I'm going to shift my sermons to be a little bit more accusatory and judgmental and condemning. Right? That's what's going to go on. But today is not so much that. It's a lot more teaching. I want to fill in the gaps. I want to clarify what you might be confused about. And so um, with that, I, I think if we can shift our thinking we can actually begin to experience the change that we've been longing to experience for 20, 30, 40 years. So this is a big deal. Like, this is what I'm hoping to do, what I'm hoping God is going to do from this message is huge. So I really need to pray, and I need you guys to pray with me. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for um, each person here in this place. Um, I thank you, God, that you've called them here for one reason or another. And I believe, God, that you have a message for them. So I pray, God, that you would be present in this place, that we'd be aware and connected to your presence. And that today would be the day, the first day of the rest of our lives where we experience you differently and we become more like you. That we can look back to March 2021 and say that was the day things began to change. It's all you, God. We put it all in your hands. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, when you were growing up in school, or if you are in school, um, I'm not sure if your, guys, your schools did this, but lots of schools do this. Like when you are kind of at the, the highest grade, so like eighth grade or senior year of high school, the yearbook will do a like eighth grade best or senior most kind of thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Right? Where, the, where everyone votes for like most likely to succeed. right? Everyone votes and then they put in the yearbook, this person's face, usually they're all like, you know, have a suit on and stuff like that. Or like best dressed. Best smile. I don't know what your guys' schools did. Maybe if you went to academy, it's like most spiritual, most likely to be a pastor. I don't know. stuff like that. So, so you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? They do this. So, what you may not know about me is I'm a two-time champion for this. In eighth grade and senior year of high school, I won one of these eighth grade best, senior most things in the same category. I'm consistent, too. All right? I want to play a little game here. And I'm going to have to teach you guys how to do it. And you're going to need a phone. So if you guys have a phone, access to internet, you're allowed to pull out your phone today in church, okay? And if you're watching from Arizona or Alaska, you can join in because this is all done online. I'm going to put a question up on the screen. It's a live poll. And I'm going to give you guys a few options. And you vote. Which award, I don't know if you call it award, which category did I win, okay? So I need you to go to slido.com. Let's put it on the screen. Put it on the screen. You can go to slido.com, and then they'll give you a little space where you can enter a code, and the code is 8991, and what should pop up should say Rock Fellowship Live Poll. Do you guys see that? Okay, if you're home in Arizona, I'd love for you guys to join. All right, and then you can, you can vote, and we'll see the results live. So what 8th grade best slash senior most did Chris win? Go ahead and vote, and let's see, let's see what happens. Oh, the, the options are best dressed, very likely, very likely. Uh, Most likely to succeed, oh, okay, okay, I like that, Uh, best looking, uh, best personality, best sense of humor, all right, so go ahead and vote and let's see what you guys think, okay, so most likely to succeed is not doing very well, I I, I guess people knew I'd be a pastor, (laughs) and they're like, he's not going to be doing very well financially, or anything, best dressed is pretty low in the running, best sense of humor is getting 45% of votes, okay, okay, I'm feeling good today, best personality, 25%, all right, it's changing a little bit, this is cool, this is cool, so keep going, Uh, I feel like we're still going through, there's a little bit of lag on the YouTube and the live feed, so maybe our Arizona friends are doing it right now, Alaska friends are doing it right now, Uh, oh, dude, okay, okay, all right, I'm a little surprised that best looking is not doing better than I thought, but, huh, best sense of humor is currently the top. So we have 43 votes, It's pretty good. Uh, best sense of humor is winning at 49% of votes. Best personality is dropping, actually, uh, strange. Best looking, um, steady, steady at 18%. Uh, you guys, you 18% are my favorite people, by the way, in church, thank you. Uh, best dressed, it's not doing very well. <laughs> what? Okay, why is most likely to succeed so low? <laughs> why is that? Four percent? Are you serious? Come on. Okay, so it is one of these options. It was not most likely to succeed. All right, so ninety-six percent of you guys knew that I, I would not succeed in life. Ninety-four percent. Eleven percent said best dressed. You're wrong. I did not win best dressed. I did not win best dressed. This was pre-Tracy. Pre-Tracy, I was not very well dressed. Post-Tracy, much better, much different. Today I said, honey, how's this? She's like, okay, that's good. Um, Best looking, I know I didn't win best looking. I didn't win best looking either. So it is between best sense of humor, best personality. 52% of you believe that I have the best sense of humor and that's what I won in my school. You are wrong. I did not win best sense of humor. I won best personality. Best personality in 8th grade. You don't have to applaud that. That's weird. You don't have to applaud that. All right. All right. Let's, put, let's, let's get this off the, off the thing. This is weird. Uh, you can put it back on me. Um, so I, I won best personality in 8th grade and I won best personality in um, senior year. The weird thing was at the time, there was this, you may not remember this song, but there was a song that came out of the radar called Mr. Personality. You know this song? And the words are, they call you Mr. Personality. Because you're so ugly. That was a song. How is that song an actual song? But I believe that's not why they voted me this. But I did win uh, best personality in eighth grade and won it again uh, senior year of high school. So I just want to do this because I want to play, I want you guys to think of uh, a similar question, but kind of the opposite. We're going to do a most unlikely, okay? So if we're looking at the Bible and the stories of the Bible from Old Testament to the New Testament, Genesis to Revelation... If I were to ask you the question, who in the Bible is probably most unlikely to have changed? Okay, I want you to think about it in your mind. Who among the stories that you know, and and if you're new to church and you don't really know the Bible, that's fine. You don't have to answer this question. No problem. But if you do, just think about it. Who is probably most unlikely to have changed in Scripture? And, and, you know, there's a lot of people maybe thinking the Pharisees. The Pharisees. Maybe thinking Zacchaeus. Like Zacchaeus had a ton of money. And Jesus said, you know, it's, it's hard for, impossible for the, the people, the rich, who are rich to go to, the, you know, heaven and stuff like that. And, and maybe you've heard those things. You know, you could argue, and I want to make the case that the person in the Bible most unlikely to change was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, right? He had every reason to not change. Okay? He had theological, philosophical, doctrinal reasons not to change the way he was. Okay? He was... He was grown up in the Jewish, uh, the Jewish system. He was like an ace. He was famous, like people knew him. He was like an amazing student, steeped from his birth in that theology, right? Everything, he was, he was a, a true Jew is what he calls himself, through and through. And then he, he, he had financial reasons to not change because he was a Pharisee. That was his job, right? Like that's what he did he, he made money and made a living off this work of persecuting Christians and, and, and doing the things that he was doing. His social circles, his friends were all these people. So if he were to change, he would have given up all those people. All those friends would have turned their backs on him and said, I can't believe you're changing. Who are you? would not even know you anymore. He would lose his, his social circle. He would lose his friends. Um, he had every reason, every reason not to change. He knew if he changed, he would be, also become the the, the focus of, of violence he knew that what he did to other people other people were going to do to him like he knows firsthand how bad it could be. He had every reason he has he had more reasons to stay the same than we do today. yet the apostle Paul changed one hundred eighty degrees. He was a completely different person at the end of his life than when he was in In his peak, in his prime years, he was completely different. He changed his character, his his personality. Actually, his personality didn't change so much, but his values, his character, his opinions, his beliefs, all changed. And it's like crazy to think that that would actually happen to a person. But it did. So the question that I want to ask, I want to look at Paul's life and see, why did Paul change and why aren't we? When we have so many reasons to change, we have less obstacles. Why did Paul? Why was Paul able to do it, and then why can't we do it? So I want to just like kind of give you a, a real quick overview of his life and the, the journey of his spiritual transformation. And if you if you know the story of Acts of the Apostles, the story comes in in Acts chapter nine, and in, there's this event that starts it all, and it begins here on the road to Damascus. Okay, so we'll start here. It starts with This this experience he has on the road going to Damascus on his way to persecute Christians. And this is the story in Acts chapter 9. "As As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Okay, so this is kind of like step one for Saul. This is where it all began, this this miraculous moment where God reaches out in this surprising, fantastic, like explosive, stupendous way. And he sees and experiences Jesus in a very, very real way like he's never done before. And then it doesn't end there. What happens is he is taken to the city and he meets a guy named Ananias. And so he meets this guy named Ananias. And this is kind of the second thing that happens. If this didn't happen, we don't know if he's going to change. He meets Ananias. Or, and the funny thing is Ananias knows about Saul. And he's heard of him. Like he's, he's heard about him. And he's heard of what he's been doing. And he's like terrified of him, which is like a good idea to be terrified of Saul because of things what he's doing. And so God reveals to him, hey, I'm, I'm going to send Saul to you and you need to help him. And so the story goes, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And I think this is funny because right before this, he's like, no, I don't want to do this. I can't talk to him. I'm scared. And then God is like, I will show him how much he must suffer my, for my name. And then he's like... Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. He's like, okay, all right. He's going to suffer. Sounds good. I'm in. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained regained strength. So we have, uh, let's put, put this on the screen. He has Damascus. He has Ananias, and then afterwards, we have, he has this time in his life where he goes to Arabia. And it's hard to really know that he does this reading the story from Acts. But in Galatians, he says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Okay? And then, so, this is his life up to now. He, he had this vision. Then he meets Ananias, who kind of explains things, who kind of heals him who encourages him, baptizes him, starts teaching him. Then he goes to Arabia for some period of time that we're not really sure how long it was. We're not really sure what he did there. But he goes there instead of going to Jerusalem. And then he begins his ministry. And as you look at his ministry, he's he's teaching and preaching and doing all this stuff. And one of the main things that happens to him is he suffers. As he's going around to all the churches, he's like getting persecuted, he gets beat, he gets shipwrecked, he gets bit by a poisonous snake. Like this crazy, crazy life. So this fourth thing that happens to him is suffering. He put this on the screen. These are four key elements to what changed the Apostle Paul. If you were to ask him, tell me about your spiritual journey, he would mention these four things: Damascus, Ananias, Arabia, and all the suffering that I experienced. Now you might wonder, what suffering? Like, why would suffering be a part of this, this, this these four things that would change people spiritually? Well, he says this in Romans 3 we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So So he saw suffering as a way to change his character. And he saw that suffering did something to him and did something in him. So the Apostle Paul, who is most unlikely to change in the Bible, changes completely and the part of his journey is these four things, Damascus, meeting Ananias, going to Arabia, and all the suffering that he experiences in his ministry. And what's cool is as you look at this and you think upon this, this is actually the four components of how spiritual change actually happens in people's lives. And uh, we're going to go through these four things for this sermon and hope you understand that it's all four of these things. This is the key. All four of these things need to happen in our lives in order for spiritual change to happen. Not one, one not two, not three, all four need to happen. And the thing is, most of us in the church, we grow up in the church, and we do like one of these things. We actually, we all do two of these things, and we'll talk about that, but we don't really go much more than that. And then we're wondering, like, how come I'm not changing? How come I still struggle? How come I'm the same? It's because we are confused about how spiritual change happens. So um, I call this, I don't call this, I actually, I didn't make this up, I got this from uh, an author, he calls it, The diamond of Christ-likeness. The diamond of Christ-likeness. And this is how spiritual change works. He he, he takes this this idea where it's Damascus is God's effort. Ananias is community. Arabia is our effort. And suffering, as Jay-Z calls them, the hard knocks of life. These are the four things that need to happen to us over time for us to actually change, to become different people and become more like Jesus. Jesus, more like Jesus. So I'm going to try to go through these four. I'm going to spend a good amount of time on the first two. And I'm going to quickly go through the second, the last two. Uh, and, and then we're going to close and that's that's it for today. So the first thing is God's effort. It all begins here. It all began in Damascus. It all began, begins with God trying to change you and reach you. God is putting forth effort. It does not happen without this, Okay. God is, 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 is working in your life right now. And, and you may not know it. You may not feel it. You may not think it. You may think God has given up on you. Maybe you've made some bad mistakes and you're like, I don't know if God is still trying. I've rejected him. Maybe I've left the church. I, I've changed my opinions. Like, I don't know him anymore. God has not given up on you. God is continuing to work in your life. Listen to what Apostle Paul says in Philippians. He says, I am certain. Certain, 100% certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I am certain that he who began a good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished. This is an amazing promise, guys. This is is really, really cool. Because it's saying that God does not... God will finish what he started. And maybe you're thinking like, oh, I don't, I don't know if God has begun a good work in me. God has begun. A, if you're here today, if you're watching online, if you're joining us, God has begun a good work in you. And maybe that good work has been paused and, and stalled for, for years or for many seasons. But God began a good work in you. That's why you're here. He's working on your life. And this is a promise from the Apostle Paul saying he is not going to stop working on you. Even if other people have given up on you, even if you've given up on yourself, God is still working on you. He's still working on that anger, he's still working on that inability to forgive, he's still working on that judgmental and condemning attitude, he's still working on that lust, he's still working on that alcoholism, he's still working on that addiction. He hasn't given up. He's still working on you maybe you've given up on yourself but he's still working on you. Maybe, I don't know if you guys have heard this, like, it's kind of a cheesy phrase, but it's cool, it's cool. Have you guys heard this? If you're not dead, you guys know what happens next? Comes next? If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you have breath in your lungs, if your heart is beating, if your mind is working, if you're not dead, God's not done with you. You dead? Then God's not done. Arizona, are you dead? No, then God's not done. Alaska, are you dead? No, then God's not done. God is not done with you. He's still working, man. This is so, so amazing. Like Jesus didn't just do something 2,000 years ago. He's like, all right, figure it out. No, he's like, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to help you day by day to transform your life and transform your heart. And this work happens through the Holy Spirit. He said, I sent the Holy Spirit to you. He says this in John chapter 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The Holy Spirit, the word translated here is advocate. The Greek word is parakletos. And what it literally means, this is so cool, guys. This is so cool, right? What parakletos means is the one who is called to your side. Isn't that cool? Like the Holy Spirit is the one who is called to your To your side. You ever have a moment where you have to do something uncomfortable or difficult and you wanted someone next to you because it made it so much easier? Maybe you had to have a tough conversation with someone, so, like, hey, you asked your best friend or your sister, your brother, or somebody, you said, hey, come with me. This is really hard. I'm, I'm scared. I don't know if I can do this. I need you by my side yeah, there. You, you guys know that experience, that feeling. Or maybe you have to talk to your kids and it's real serious. It's really comfortable. So you're like, I can't do it alone. So you as a, as a parental unit come together to talk to your kids. That support, that strength, that's parakletos. One who is called by your side to work with you and work for you and to work on your behalf. That is the Holy Spirit. It says he's the advocate. He'll never leave you. And it says he leads you into all truth. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, a lot of us think, oh, that means he's going to teach me stuff from the Bible. And that's absolutely true. Like I'm going to read something in the Bible and I'm like, ah, I don't get it. Holy Spirit, can you help me? And the Holy Spirit would lead us to have conviction and understand the meaning. And that's absolutely true. The Holy Spirit brings you to a conviction of truth. But it's not just doctrinal truth. It's not just biblical truth. It's not just like spiritual truth. It's truth about yourself. It's truth about other people. The Holy Spirit is the one who will will grab your heart when you are being unkind and say they don't deserve that. You don't know their story. The Holy Spirit is the one that's telling you, hey, you need to be more patient here in this time. You don't know what's going on. The Holy Spirit will reveal all truth, biblical truth, spiritual truth, but truth about you and truth about people and truth about your family and truth about this world. And he's called to our side. And so it's so important that we understand that the Holy Spirit and God's work is the number one thing that happens. But the cool thing is you don't have to do anything about it. Because God's doing it. He's reaching you and he's not going to give up working on you and working on your life. You know, the thing though is we as Seventh-day Adventists, we we do not have a robust theology of the Holy Spirit. Like we don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. And we kind of shy away from the Holy Spirit because of how it's been interpreted and and lived out and applied in different churches and denominations. And we're like, we're like kind of uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is this powerful part of the Godhead and we have to understand who he is and what he does and how he interacts with us in our lives and how we can connect with him. We have to understand. You know, the thing is, I think that we have to understand that as I mentioned, this is the first part of it. It begins here with God's effort. It begins with God working on your life, but it doesn't end with God's effort. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound really, really crazy and, and like it's really, really controversial, but but just give me a second. I think you'll understand what I mean. God's effort alone is not enough to change you. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Like God can do whatever he wants. God can do whatever he wants. Absolutely. But God's effort alone with your resistant heart Is not enough to change you. Because if it was, then God would force you to change. He would be changing your mind and changing your brain without your permission. And that's not what God does. He will not overwhelm you with change. He respects your freedom. Remember, he stands at the door and knocks. And he says, let me come in. Let me do my thing. But God's effort alone is not enough to change us and transform us to become like Jesus. Even though that's what we want. Let's be honest, that's what we want, right? We want the change without having to do the things that will make us change, am I right? right, I mean, just think about dieting, right? Like I want to lose weight without having to do the things that will actually enable me to lose weight. I want to get healthier, I want to get fit, I want to be stronger than Jen, but that's probably never ever gonna happen. But I don't want to do the things that will make that will enable me to do it. So what I want is like, I want a pill. Give me a pill that I can eat and it's just going to change me. Like, isn't that be amazing? Like if you came up with a pill that would like help you lose weight and it was not harmful, you'd be, a, you'd be a billionaire, man. But that's not how it works. But that's what we want. We want the Holy Spirit to change our character without having to do the work that is required to change our character. It begins with God's effort but it doesn't end there. What we want is like we want this Holy Spirit zap moment, moment, right? We want God to just zap us and like, oh, I'm not angry anymore. We want God to zap us and be like, oh, I love my enemies now. That's amazing. Like today, you you want to wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I don't care. I don't care about worldly things and worldly possessions. I don't care about those things anymore. That's what we want. We would love if God would just zap us and change us, but that's not how he does it. And maybe you've actually asked for this in ways that you, you, you didn't even really think you were saying this. Maybe you've prayed and you're like, or thought, if I just experienced one miracle, right, like one real miracle in my eyes, in front of my face, like right here, I would be changed. Have you guys thought that before? If I just see something crazy, if God just does something amazing in front of me, I'll be changed. I'll, like, I'll give it all up, I'll go to the jungles, I'll do whatever, like I'll be completely different. No, you won't. That's the honest truth. That's the harsh truth. You won't. You won't change for your life by one single event. And I know this because in my own life, I've experienced miracles right in my face. But I still struggle with the same stuff. If you've been hoping for one moment to just change everything about you, you're waiting for something that's not going to happen. That's not how it works. This quote says it best. This is such an amazing quote here. We habituate to past experiences. These cannot continue to sustain us. We need to discover him every morning. Our love for him must be rediscovered. You guys know where I read this? Last night, Friday Night Live by Ernest Kim in the comment section. I read that and I was like, wow blew my mind. I was like, yes, Ernie, you need to write a book, dude. You need to write a book. Because that's so good, right? We habituate to our past experiences. The things, amazing things that have happened to us in the past, we get used to it. Oh, yeah, man, when I was 18 years old, God showed up in this amazing way. What about now? Oh, yeah, it was was crazy. It was cool. It was awesome. But it's not doing anything for me. We habituate. We get used to these miracles in our lives. And so that's not enough. It won't sustain us. That's why Ernie says we need to discover him every morning. Our love for him must be rediscovered. That's so funny. When I was reading this, Ernie in the back was like, <laughs> like, I was going to plagiarize him. <laughs> he's, a, he's an academic, right? He's a researcher. He's like, all of us, like, not about that plagiarism life. Like, pastor, come on. Right? Don't worry I about mean, I give you credit. I give you credit. That's so good, right? So God's effort is where it all begins, but it doesn't end there. We need to meet him up. We need to meet him for change to actually happen. He's not going to transform you against your will. He's not going to zap you into holiness. He's not going to zap you into Christ-likeness. So that's where the second part comes up. It's our effort. Now, God has made the move. He's made that first step. He's, we've had our Damascus moment. He's working on us and he's not going to give up until he finishes changing us and transforming us in our lives. And he says, and, and now we need to meet him with our effort. And I, I need to talk a little bit about what this looks like. Our role in spiritual change. Our role, we have basically two roles in spiritual transformation and spiritual change, is to engage in certain spiritual things, spiritual activities like reading the Bible and prayer and fasting and stewardship and giving and serving and worship and church gathering. We, like, we need to engage in these things so that we are connected to and aware of the Holy Spirit. Like That's what it's all about. All those things that we do... Uh, these spiritual activities, or I don't know how I don't even know what to call them, the spiritual things that we do, they help us to simply be connected to and aware of the Holy Spirit. Like that work God is doing in your life. By, by engaging in these things, we start understanding and seeing Him move in our lives. And so we engage in these things, and and and, and what happens is as we we connect with God's effort and our effort coming together. He, we allow him in and he starts changing us from the inside out. This is how change is supposed to happen. Where God's effort and our effort come together. We bring him in and he begins to transform us in our lives. But you know, change is hard. Like, Let's be honest, change is hard. If change was easy, we'd all be doing it. But change is hard, any kind of change. And for some of you guys, it's even harder than others of you. But change is hard. And changing ourselves, nearly impossible, right? Changing the hang-ups that we've had for our entire lives, things that are rooted in us because of how we, were, how we were raised and what we experienced as children. Like, changing is really, really hard, nearly impossible. And the thing is, what we teach in the church oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this, is we tell people, if you want to change... Just try harder. That's what we say. Just read the Bible, pray, and try harder. And then you'll be like Jesus. Just like you, you don't love your enemies, just try loving them, huh? Like, just try hard. Just like, like buckle down and, and use your willpower. You know, you, you're addicted, just, just try harder. But that's not how it works, man. It's too hard. Like, like when willpower is when it's willpower versus those things. Maybe willpower will win for like the first round or second round or third round, but once you have a bad day, once you have a stressful day, once you have an annoying patient, once you have a, a, a bad grade, once you have a fight with your friends or your parents, willpower goes out the window, guys. And we think we're strong enough to face these things head on with just willpower? I don't think so. Rather, you think you're going to... Begin doing the most unnatural thing ever, like loving your enemies just because you try harder? Like you think you're going to learn to be more patient just by trying harder? Oh, i have going to be more patient. Oh, I just got to be more patient. Just got to try a little bit harder. You think you're going to, to be free from your addiction to, to substances or pornography just because you're like, oh, I'm just going to try try harder? That's That's not how it works. Change is hard. It just doesn't happen. Like willpower versus... All these things will lose. Like willpower versus ice cream will lose on any given day, right? Willpower versus donuts will lose. Last night I was here at church working on the sermon, preparing, getting ready, praying, you know, listening to the worship team practicing. I got home pretty late. And you know, like I'm trying to make it a thing where I don't eat late at night. I go home and there's a box of donuts. And it took me about .5 seconds to decide to eat that donut. Right? It was like so easy. Willpower, get out of here, man. Give me that donut. And put it in my mouth, you know? Like willpower versus dessert and ice cream, willpower versus Netflix and Korean dramas, man. Are you serious? You think we're gonna change just by trying a little bit more or trying harder today? That's not how it works. But it's not impossible. Because what God tells us when he comes to Mary, when he when, before he enters this earth, he says, with God, all things are possible including the transformation of your heart including the transformation of your mind it is possible by the power of God and when we when we connect to that when we we tap into that power by playing our part in in, in spending time with him in prayer and devotion and meditation and and fasting and prayer that possibility becomes even more real this, uh, uh, one, of the, one of these uh, spiritual writers, Dallas Willard, he says this. He says, discipline is something we do to enable ourselves to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. Right? That's what we do. Right? If you want to get better at something that you can't get better at, you train and you work at it. And then that thing becomes a possibility. So, for example, like let's say I decided today, tomorrow, tomorrow. I'm going to run a marathon. I know, you guys are like, what? Don't do that. If I say to you guys today, tomorrow I'm going to run 26.2 miles, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. No training, nothing. I'm just going to run. I haven't been running, haven't been exercising, but I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. What do you think is going to happen to me? (laughs) What is going to happen to me? Like I'm going to die, right? I'm going to die or I'm going to be, you're going to find me on the road like passed out, like bleeding from my mouth, you know, like, I don't know, I'm going to be in such bad shape, I can't do it, right, I I won't be able to just run 26.2 miles tomorrow, I'm either going to die or I'm just going to give up, it's like, you know what, I can't do this anymore, it's too hard, I don't have the capacity right now to run a marathon, I cannot do it, I'm not trained, my legs are too weak, my lungs are too weak, I won't be able to do it tomorrow. And that's how we often treat like change in, in the church and in, 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 in these character areas that we want to change in. We're like, I'm just going to try. And then so we get to mile three and we're like, okay, it's going okay. We get to mile five and then we just give up because it's too hard to just do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot force yourself, you cannot will yourself to become like Jesus. So then what do you do? If you actually want a marathon, what do you do? Actually, I'm not really sure, but I think you have to run a little bit, right? You have to you run with one mile and and two miles, maybe three miles, and then you rest. Take a day or two off. And then I think what I've heard, based on my extensive research to in marathon running, is that basically you, you divvy it up by weeks, and every week you just add one more mile. So in one week you do five, the next week, six, seven eight over time with practice and training you get stronger and then you begin to actually have the capacity to run a marathon that's how it works with our physical bodies and that's how it works with us spiritually as well right if you just today decide that i'm gonna i'm gonna be completely different it's not gonna work but by engaging in these things we learn and we get stronger our our spiritual muscles get stronger and it becomes a possibility for us to actually love our enemies, to actually be kind, to actually be patient, to actually be joyful in our lives. Because we've done these things, we've connected with Jesus in a way where he's changing us and giving us the capacity to do it. So to prove my point, I am going to run a marathon. Just kidding, I'm not going to run a marathon. There's no way I'm going to run a marathon. But some of you are like, no way, no way, no, I'm not going to run a marathon. But it's true. Okay, but it's true. This is absolutely true. This is how it works. God's effort, we're partnered with We partnered with God's effort, with our effort in order to have the capacity to change and transform. The Apostle Paul did this, right? We, we saw that he went to a place called Arabia and the Bible doesn't really talk about what he did, but Ellen White tells us, this is such a great, uh, great text from Acts of the Apostles. It says, here in the solitude of the desert, Paul had ample opportunity for quiet study and meditation. He calmly reviewed his past experience and made sure work of repentance. He sought God with all his heart. He emptied his soul of the prejudices and traditions that had hitherto shaped his life. And received instruction from the source of truth. Jesus communed with him and established him in the faith, bestowing upon him a rich measure of wisdom and grace. That's from Acts of the Apostles, page 126. The Apostle Paul goes to Arabia for a number of years and engaged in connecting with Jesus in real ways so that he could actually be changed. So that's the second part of of spiritual transformation. Now I'm going to go through the last two. I'm going to go through them a little bit more quickly. The third one was Ananias, where he met Ananias and other believers, and this is community. Community is so important in, in the spiritual journey, Um, Community is so important, but not community in the way that we often do community and spiritual growth. Like, we actually don't really understand how community works. Because what we do in the church is what I like to call growth by osmosis. This is what we like to try to do, growth by osmosis. Um, If you don't know what osmosis is, go look it up. I, I know what it is, but I don't think I can explain it to you, right? But growth by osmosis is this idea where I'll just be next to spiritual people, and maybe they'll just, like, rub off on me. Right? Like, you go like, all right, I'm just going to go hang out with Ken. I'm just going to go hang out with Ed and Jeremy, the elders of our church. Let me get near them, maybe like a little bit of that spirituality will just like dust off and kind of change me. Let me just be around them, right? And that's how we do small groups. We go to small groups and we think maybe I'll just have one spiritual conversation a week, be around these other guys, all these other girls, and, and, and all these other friends, and we're going to talk about the Bible, and it's good, and it's wonderful, and I believe in all that. Guys, trust me, I love it. Small groups are amazing. I appreciate every single, I, I love them, I lead them. This is, this is really good. But we go there expecting that if I'm just going to be around spiritual people, then maybe I'll be changed. Like, like if, if I'm just close enough to them. And, and on the flip side, that's what we actually sometimes teach in church. Everyone, just come to church. Just come to church and you're going to become like Jesus. Like, we have a great church. We have great praise. We have great sermons sometimes, you know. we have We have great people. We have great... Potluck, we have all this great stuff. We are a great church, and I love church. Again, I'm a pastor, I love church, I believe in church. But we're like, come to church, and we're thinking, if you just come here and be here in this room, in these pews, or watching online, you're gonna become like Jesus. It's not how it works. We don't grow by osmosis, we grow by our effort and God's effort and being in very specific type of community and this is what i this is what i mean this is what we need in our communities to actually change spiritually okay it's two things number one exposure and number two encouragement these are the two things that we need for spiritual growth in in community we need people to expose us for who we really are we need people that love us that care about us to say to our face i see this in you i know what you're saying But I know this is in you. I know where you're struggling. I know this is your fault. This is your flaw. It is not their fault. It wasn't your wife's fault. It wasn't your husband's fault. That's on you. We need a little bit. We need to be exposed. We need people to, we need to be shown who we really are. And I'm not saying you have to be in a small group. Although a small group is a great place for this to happen. But you need some kind of spiritual community where someone is going to expose you honestly and accurately and tell you the truth about yourself. We need more exposure, guys. Like we need, we live in this world where it's like, la, 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 like I'm so great, I'm so wonderful. We need every now and again, we need some people to call us out and I think you know what I'm talking about. I think you know that this is an important part of spiritual growth and spiritual change. We need someone to expose us, but we also need encouragement and that's the second part of spiritual community. Where you get exposed for who you are, but then the people who are doing it say, I I know this about you, I see this in you and it's bad, but I love you, I am for you, I care about you, I accept you with all your flaws, and and I'm here for you, and I'm going to be by your side, and we're going to work through this, and I'm with you. Like that's encouragement, we need that, we need both, we can't just have one, we can't just have exposure and no encouragement, we can't just have encouragement and no exposure. Spiritual community that will actually transform our lives requires both these things. And and I I really think we all need a little bit more exposure. And I think we all need a little bit more encouragement. We need a little bit more of that in our lives. So we need that kind of a community. And whatever you got to do for that community, find it. Like, I think it would be amazing, guys, if your community, one of your spiritual communities, for those of you guys who are married, was your relationship with your spouse. Now, I know some of you guys are like, yeah, I get a lot of the exposure stuff. I get that a lot, like every day, like every week. I get a lot of that. And maybe that's true, right? Like that happens. When when you're married, you have someone whose full-time job is to expose you for the fraud you actually are in your life, right? But let's throw in some encouragement there too. And that's sometimes uncomfortable. Like the closer you get with people, it's uncomfortable to really be encouraging. But what if in your marriages, in your relationships, you expose one another but you encourage one another? What if that was your spiritual community? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? So that's the third part of of, of this spiritual transformation, this diamond of Christ-likeness. And the last one is the hard knocks of life, is suffering. And this is not something that we do. This is not something that we engage in. We don't seek out suffering. We don't seek out pain. But regardless of who you are, no matter who you are, where you're from, it's going to happen. And pain is going to happen. But what we have to understand is as believers and followers of Jesus, we can have a unique perspective on pain. We can have a unique perspective, a unique view and understanding of suffering. So we can see that suffering and pain can be the incubator and the catalyst for change in our lives. I mean, if you talk to any spiritually mature person that you know, someone that you're like, man, they know what's going on. They follow Jesus. They love God. I bet if you ask them, they all have a story of how suffering catapulted their growth in Christ. They all have that story. It's a part of the journey, right? We all have that story. Who, who, who? For people who are who have grown, we all experience that kind of thing. And I know that we push it away, and we don't want pain, and we don't want suffering, we don't want that. And oftentimes, when that happens, the question we ask is, "What? Where are you, God?" Where are you, Jesus, in this pain? And the answer is, he's right there. He's right there. So as a Christian, as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to look at pain in a way to trans- that will end up transforming us for who we are. And help us to become more like Jesus. Jesus is a suffering servant. He's a suffering God of a suffering People, He knows how to suffer and suffer well. And we can look to him as you look through the scriptures, as you read the gospels, you can see in him and other people in the Bible how to suffer well. And how to suffer in a way for transformation to happen. One of the pastors that I I follow and listen to, he said this, pain without gain is a shame. Right? Like to have pain and no gain. What a shame that is, right? So every opportunity, every painful experience, whether it's intense and really painful, or really difficult, or maybe it's just like a first-world problem of frustration or stress, all of those are opportunities for transformation to become more and more like Jesus. So this is it. This is the this is the, the diamond of Christ likeness. This is how transformation actually happens. This is a working charger. All right? This is a, a seed penetrating into the soil through these four things over time. And that's so important. Over time. And I know last week, like I gave you guys a really hard time. Like, oh, you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, all this time, and, and you haven't changed. Da, 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 da. But the truth is, like honestly, it takes a ton of time. It takes decades. It takes a lifetime because God is not done with you until you're dead. Or until he comes. So it takes time to grow. It takes time to be transformed. But here's my promise. Well, it's not my promise. It's it's God's promise to you. If we can live life within this diamond, if we can be a part of this thing, over time, you will become a person for whom it is easier to love someone than to hate them or retaliate You will become, it's a promise from the Lord Himself. You will become a person for whom it is easier to love your enemy than to retaliate against your enemy. You will be a person for whom it is easier to understand where someone's coming from than to judge them and condemn them. You will become a person for whom purity is easier than lust, for whom trusting in God is easier than anxiety and stress. You will become a person for whom it is easier to be free than to be shackled in addiction. For whom it is easier to be kind than to have your way. You become a person with time for whom it is easier to be generous. It is easier to enjoy the simplicities of life. It is easier to be that person than someone who is materialistic and chasing after the wind and trying to get the next brand you think this is a very real possibility for you because it is a promise from your heavenly father it is a promise from your savior this can happen i want that to float in the air for a second this can happen in 10 20 30 years you can look back and say yes i am with all humility with all honesty And the thing is, if you look at this thing, if you look at this diamond, let's put the screen one more time, you look at this diamond, two of four of those things are out of your control. Two of these four, two of four things are already going to happen no matter what. God's effort is going to happen. You have no control that. No matter how far you run from it, he's never going to give up on you. And the hard knocks of life, no matter who you are, it's going to happen. Two of these four things are already going to take place. You are only responsible for 50% of this. Only two things. Your effort and also being in community. That's all you have to do. And over time, this is a real possibility. This is a functioning charger. This is soil penetrating into the soil. This is what we understand as discipleship. And this is how we can be changed. Let me pray for you guys. Father in heaven, I know this is a lot to take in today. Lot of information, you know, I talk a lot, Lord, but God, I think we just need to know. Each and every single one of us just needs to know that even though we haven't changed and we haven't grown for years, it can happen. It can happen in, the next, in this next season of life if we can just understand how change actually happens, Lord. Father, I pray that that someone in this room. I don't know who, I don't know where, if they're here in this room or watching at home in Portland or in Arizona or Alaska, that someone in this moment would realize that they actually can learn to become more and more like you. So Father, whatever it, whatever it takes, God, whatever we need to do to, whatever effort we need to put in to meet you where you've met us, to, to meet your effort, Father, whatever community we need to find where we can grow, Lord, whatever has to happen, God, make it happen. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to convict hearts today, convict minds right now in this moment. And Father, let today be the day where the impossible begins to become possible, where this lofty goal of becoming more like you actually starts to happen. How amazing would that be? Thank you, God, that You never give up on us, and you are continuing to work on us. Holy Spirit, come and work on us. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Transform us to be more and more like Jesus. In your name we pray.